0: In Luke chapter 15, there's a story of the prodigal or the lost son. And usually the deepest hurts we can experience, they come from our own families, our spouse, our children, our relatives. So this morning, please take out the sermon notes prepared for you in your bulletin. This story that we're going to look at is Jesus' most famous parable. In your notes, it's not just lessons about a father's love. It's lessons about parenting. Now, I'm no authority on parenting. I often feel like Charles Shedd, who used to do seminars on parenting when he was a single man. It was called How to Raise Your Children. Then after he got married, he changed the title, Some Suggestions for Parents. Then after he had had his first kid, He changed it to feeble hints to fellow strugglers. And after he had three kids, he said he stopped giving the lectures. A lady jumped on the bus one day with five kids. The bus driver said, are all these your kids or is it a picnic? She said, they're all mine and it's no picnic. Another lady asked her husband, After he took their son to school that day, did Billy cry when you took him to school? He said, no, but the teacher did. (laughs) One of the things that really bothers me, why, is it that godly parents have kids that go astray. It happens all the time. It happened in the Bible. It happens in church history. Some of the most godly people I know, their kids have gone off the deep end. Why? Well, I don't really know the answer to that. I don't think there's a single answer. I think a lot of parents carry a lot of guilt, thinking that they're the only ones responsible for their kids. They're not. There are a lot of other factors you don't have any control over. See, for God has first of all given us a free will. So today I want us to look at this story, the story of the prodigal son. I think this story illustrates what what you do what you do when your children grow beyond your control I don't want to talk about the why I don't know all the reasons why But I want to talk to you about what do you do what do you do when your children grow beyond your control so the prodigal son here shows us three stages in this biblical story in your notes stage number one is the rebellion the rebellion of the son. Look with me at Luke 15, 11 to 13. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed up all of his belongings, moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. So stage number one is rebellion. In every parent-child relationship, there's going to be struggles. It's called struggle for control. Who's in charge? It's a power struggle. You know, at birth, as a parent, you're 100% in control. But as children grow, the power gets transferred. Your control is not permanent. Kids have a sin nature. If you don't believe all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, you've just never been a parent. We all do have our own stubborn ways. Here we have a very classic confrontation. The younger son says, I want. Circle the words, I want, in that text. Because that's the root of rebellion. If I could just do what I want, he wants off the farm. So when you notes, rebellion is unpredictable. It's unpredictable because he has two sons. They're radically different. One is strong-willed, one is complacent. The younger son heads for Hollywood. He's going to live it up. He goes to Sunset Strip in Jerusalem. He cruises the boulevard. This guy had grown beyond his parents' control. Now, when does this happen? I think it happens sooner than we'd like to admit it, at least sooner than we wish it would. So what do you do? His father did three difficult actions. And I think this father is a model for us because this parable represents God and he's the perfect father. So when you notice number one, he let them go. Yet the younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. The father didn't chase him. He released him. From birth, we're preparing. From birth on, we're preparing our kids to lead. I think one of the most difficult tasks of parenting is knowing when to let go. It's hard. When do I let go? Because if your 18-year-old came to you with the request of this young son, would you give it to him? No way, right? Money is one way that we try to control our kids, sometimes even after they're married. No doubt the father tried to reason with him, but to no avail. The young man was determined to leave. The fact is, the tighter we hold on, the more they resist. Let them go. That's really hard. In your notes number two, let them make their own mistakes. He took everything his dad had, that his dad had given to him, and he blew it. He wasted it all. First, the story is great. is a party time, living it up. He Probably tried everything, especially those things that were forbidden at home. He tossed his parents' values to the wind. He Had a great time. Do you think this father knew his son was headed for trouble? Sure he did. Do you think he was tempted to send letters of advice? Sure. The father realized that some things, however, we only learn through pain. This kid was stubborn, and the only way he was going to learn it was through the school of hard knocks. Convictions are come from a real life, not just from a classroom. It was risky, but it was the only way for this kid. So number one, it's hard to let them go. Number two, it's even harder to let them make their own mistakes. The hardest of all, however, is number three. In your notes, number three, they let let them reap the consequences. And there always are consequences for rebellion. It says after he spent everything, he began to be in need. So there's a price tag for rebellion. It's hard times. The party is over. He's broke. He has empty pockets, empty stomach, empty life. And the father's watching this son reap the consequences of his own choices. And there's a great temptation in your notes, great temptation when reaping the consequences of the parents. Parents are tempted to intervene, send the care package, bail them out, send money. The father in this story of the prodigal son, he knew something very important that all of us have to learn. A kid who was selling drugs got put in for jail. Parents would continually bail him out. Kids would go right back to his old ways of thinking, hey, mom and daddy, they're going to bail me out again. So you don't short-circuit the consequences. How do you think these parents felt, though? In your notes, number one, one, the parents probably felt sorry. My kid is out there suffering. I can't let him just sit there in the pig pen, eating pig slop. He's hurting. So you first of all feel sorry for your child. Number two in your notes, you probably felt embarrassed. Here's a wealthy farmer. His kid is living like a bum. On top of that, he's working in a pig factory. For a kosher Jew, that's about as low as you can go. You couldn't eat pork, you can't touch pigs. Here this kid is tending pigs. How do you think that this fits into Jewish culture then? They really are embarrassed. Number three. They probably felt self-condemnation. Well, where did we go wrong? The fact is that all of us have made mistakes in our parenting. You're not the only influence in your child's life. I think there's a lot of unjustified condemnation. The fact is it's not fair to take all the blame yourself. There are forces beyond your control. Your child has choices that he makes, his friends that he chooses, his teachers and coaches, his books and movies has all kinds of other influences and choices. If your kids have left home and he's out of your control, he's reaping the consequences of his own decisions. Because the father did not intervene. He did not intervene. We actually have stage two in the parable. Stage two in your notes is re-evaluation. So look at Luke 15, 17 and 19. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, Even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, "Father, I have sinned against you, both heaven, and against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired hand." Some of you are praying for that stage in your child's life. When this, when is my child going to wake up? When is he going to come to his senses? When is he going to see that he's ruining his life? Notice the changes in his attitude. He goes through a process. So in your notes, number one is re-evaluation. He begins to wise up. He faces the facts. He recognizes this is really stupid. What am I doing here? Why am I sitting here feeding pigs, pig slop? He begins to question his own lifestyle. Is this really smart? Number two. Is regrets. Evaluation and regrets. He gets homesick. He's sitting in the pig pen. He says, This place stinks. It's the pits. My dad's servants get better treatment than this. So he's regretting. He's regretting his choices. Then, number three in your notes is repentance. He says, In repentance, I will go home. And he heads off for home, not with a change of clothes, but a change of heart. He's broken. So what do you do then during the second stage when you're waiting and you're waiting for your child to come to this reevaluation stage? Three things on the back of your notes. Number one, you pray. Pray and never stop praying. Our children, my children, your children are all targets of Satan. From the day that they take their first breath, Satan is trying to ruin their lives. They need to be prayed for. One of our chief responsibilities as parents is to pray for our children every day. Number two, you commit them to God. You commit them to God. See, the things that are out of our control are not out of God's control. Although we may not be able to change the situation, God can commit them to the Lord. Then number three, you wait. You wait, and you wait patiently. And many of you are doing that right now, That's hard. There's always a waiting period. It takes longer for some, But because the father did wait. The son came to stage three then in this parable. Stage three, in your notes, is the return. So how do you handle the return? That's very crucial. Look at Luke 15, verse 20. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off his father, he saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. So how do you handle it? Three things parents do at this stage. But remember, this is the ideal father. And you notice this ideal father is God. This is not a human being. So in this parable, this is what God, he would do. In fact, it's actually what God does to you and to me in times of our rebellion. It's a model for us. He did three things. Number one, love them faithfully. You never give up. It says while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. He was filled with love and compassion. Not when he had come home and got his life together, no. He was filled with compassion while he was still a long way off. The father had never given up hope. No matter how far they fall, no matter how long you wait, the door was left open for reconciliation. You love them faithfully. Number two, you accept them unconditionally. It says here the father went out and he says he threw his arms around him. He ran to him. He kissed him. He hugged him. Well, that's a moving picture of acceptance. Open arms. Notice he did not say go home and get shaved and clear cut and bath. Then I'll hug you or kiss you. Can you imagine how this guy probably smelled? He'd been living in a pig pen, Giving slop to hogs and eating it himself. What does the father do? He runs out. Gives him a big bear hug, kisses him. That's unconditional acceptance. See, the language of acceptance is always very physical. He ran, he hugs, he kisses. So number one, he loved them faithfully. Number two, accept them unconditionally. Number three, in your nose. Then he forgive them completely? What I like about this father, he didn't rub it in, he rubbed it out. He didn't keep reminding his son, holding it over his head, the rest of his life. Remember that time when you rebelled? He didn't say that. He didn't say, I told you so. He could have. He'd probably have to. And he didn't say, you blew half my wealth. The prodigal son didn't need a sermon. The father forgave him completely. Notice the father did three things then for his prodigal son. In the parable number one, he said, bring forth a robe. Now in Jewish culture, the robe, that was a sign of sonship. So you were now back in the family, with the robe. Number two, you put a ring on his finger. In those days, the ring was a signet. It's what you sign your name with. Sign any bills. It was like a credit card. You could charge things with your ring. So he was basically saying, bring out the American Express. Give him the credit card. Would you do that for your prodigal returning home? Give him the ring. Give him unlimited credit. But that was really a sign of his trust. That's a sign of being completely forgiven. Number three, restore him to full relationship. The important thing is that his father gave him responsibility. He forced him to accept responsibility when he came home. He did not allow his son to move back into a dependent relationship like a hired hand. Typical reaction is, I blew it. I made a mistake. I didn't take care of my own life. Therefore, I'm abdicating all my rights and authority to you, Dad. Please make all the decisions for me now. Just be my boss. That's why kids who get messed up out on the streets today are such easy prey for the cults. Because they're looking for a father figure who will make all the decisions for them. Because they've blown it. Blown it on drugs. Blown it on sex. They think, I can't do it. So they look to some Jim Jones or a Reverend Moon or somebody who will make all the decisions for them so they don't have to accept responsibility. But the father forced him to accept responsibility, to act like an adult, he would not let him become dependent. So this story really shows how God deals with our rebellion also. it's the primary purpose. The Bible says we all sin. We all have done our own thing. We've rebelled. We've messed up our lives. But God says, come on home. God gives us another chance. So this story really has a happy ending. But for many of you, and the jury is still out. You've got a child out there who you don't know if they're ever going to shape up. Maybe they've rejected everything in your life or they've hurt you deeply. They've rejected your counsel, you've rebelled against your authority and you're really hurting. It's embarrassing because you can tend to take all the blame yourself. You keep wondering why. Why? So what do you do? Give your hurts to God. God is the only one who can heal them. We conclude with Luke 15, verse 24. Please read it with me together out loud. For the son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Is there a word of encouragement this morning that I could give you? Maybe one thing. The ball game is not over. Right now, some of your children may be in the third inning. There's plenty of time for God to do a miracle. Do a miracle for their lives. So number one, keep, to keep on praying. Number two, commit them to God. And number three, wait. Wait for their return. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.